Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, welcome to a special quarantine version. Quarantine's too strong. Stay-at-home order version of the Moms, Dads, and Grads recommendation show. A higher proportion than normal of for myself, which makes a lot of sense right now. Mm-hmm. Um, for those Glad of you to had see re- it. Yes. For those of you who had requests for your mom, I don't know what to tell you. It's, ever, it's always a good time of year to buy a book for your mom. Um, so you can do that. Uh, I'd say anything, any noticing any particular patterns for this year's recommendations? Hmm. There were more that I had to do research on than usual. I thought the same thing, too. I thought I was just being dumb and haven't read as interestingly as I have other times. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, It was fun, though. I got to talk to our contributors and do some Mm -hmm. Googling. I like it that our listeners don't just all read the same things we do. I like to be stretched out of my comfort Mm -hmm. zone as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and maybe more than usual of like it's kind of tacking onto the story we read or the piece we read from Vox last week about why it's yeah. so hard to read right yeah. now. More people either having a hard time reading or looking for something to shake them out of a rut. Um, and I certainly relate to that. So we've got some mm-hmm. picks for those folks too. Yeah. Um, before we get started, we're going to do our first sponsor break, but we're not going to hear the dun 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 for the for the for the ad spot <laughs> because we're going to do just talk about TBR for a minute. One of the sponsors of our show today, TBR. Book Rights Recommendation Service, which now, especially now, is a good sponsor because you can give it as a gift, which wasn't always the case, Rebecca, as you know all too well. I do know that all too well. It took a long time to get all of the development pieces and the tax pieces and all the, you know, behind the scenes tech shenanigans in place. And I am so, mm. so happy that we have finally figured it all out. So there's a couple different options that you can sign up for yourself or give as a gift. Um, one is a recommendation only. You fill out a survey that I think, Rebecca, are you the principal author of that survey putting together I am what indeed, goes into yes. that? Mm-hmm. Um, to let us hone in on the kinds of books you, you might like. Um, you can say your likes, your dislikes, favorite reads. You can link your Goodreads profile there so that um, you know the recommender can look and see if you have a book on your shelf. That's one of the only ways we can check to see, especially for nerds like you guys and us who read a whole bunch of books to see we can recommend something that might be new to you. Um, and we had a, a little bit of a surge in um, new signups over the last few weeks. And so Rebecca and I were drafted into spot duty to do some of the recommending. And it was really fun to see how it worked from the backside. I had a really good time. I spent way too long doing it and fussing over it, as you might expect. I got very nervous about the quality of my recommendations and things like that. Um, so it's a really good and fun gift. And so like if you've got the premium gift, and you can, of course, all this you can sign up for yourself, the, the hardcover level where the books actually get sent to the you or the, or the giftee, um, mm-hmm. And that, you know, you can sign up for recurring. You can do annual all at once. Um, and then the recommendation only, uh, you know, you get the recommendations. And then once, if you can give feedback on those recommendations, if you decide to continue with it, you can say, well, this one was a great recommendation, this one not so much. You can change what you're looking for. Um, and it's really cool, interesting service. 
the recommendations only level is fifteen dollars a quarter. And what's the the annual? Is it is it or fifty 60? a year? Yeah. Okay. So you get a little bit of a break on that one, mm-hmm. and then the hardcover. What's the price for that one? Rebecca? It is seventy nine a quarter or three hundred for the year. Yeah, and that's fulfilled by our friends over at Print Bookstore in Maine, um, and they'll get they'll get shipped out to you from them. Um, it's we leverage the power of book nerdness to give you we, the best recommendations we can. We really did, and I will say I'm really proud of this because you know. Folks on this show have listened to us talk about it for a long time, like probably for years before we yep. even had this service. And TBR has been up for about two years now. It'll be two years in July. But it's it really is like Stitch Fix or Trunk Club for books where it's mm-hmm. a real person picking things for you. It's personalized. You can say in the same way that I can tell my Trunk Club person, like, I need some new black skinny jeans and cute tops to wear if I ever get to leave my house again. Um, you can tell us I'm looking for self-help by women of color and also space opera and your biblical gets matched up to you based on what you're looking for and what their areas mm. of expertise are. Um, there are lots of like personalized book recommendation things on the internet, but I- I'm pretty sure almost all of them are either algorithms or it's like a selected pool of books from yep. which the person is pulling um, or it's things that are sponsored. Like this is entirely organic. The entire ocean of existing books is available to your bibliologist. And if you're thinking about giving it as a gift, I'll let you know your recipient gets notified that they are receiving the gift and then they complete their profile themselves. So Mm. you don't have to guess about what they like or what they've read. You don't have to worry about trying to get their Goodreads. They set up their whole thing. Just you pay for it. Best of both worlds. And uh, I think we all know the value of reading something new and exciting and different than you want to pick up yourself. Like there's just something uh, Mm -hmm. that you just... You can't do. And one thing that we do is, you know, we have channels in our back end here in Slack and other places where contributors and people filling out can ask each other. And so we can not just in the, you know, the power of one book nerd is significant, but the multiplicative effect, um, the fractal nerdiness that can happen when they start talking to each other um, is like, here's an idea. What about this? Check this out. Um, it's really exciting. Yeah, um, it's it's really awesome. One of the questions in the survey is, do you want us to give you, after you've told us what you like and what you're interested in, we ask, you know, what do you want to read more of? Do you want us to give you things that are familiar to you or stretch you outside your comfort zone or kind of do a mix of both? And there are a few dozen contributors who are regular bibliologists who mm-hmm. do this all the time. I'll say like, unless there's another crazy surge, um, you probably won't get me or Jeff. We were just no. pinch hitters. <laughs> and yeah. the, the rest of the staff. Um, and you're better off for staff, it. Leave it to the regular pros. <laughs> they are really incredible at mm. it. And it's sort of gradually helping people explore new topics. Um, it's been really, really fun to watch them like branch out and do this over the last couple of years and I'm so excited now that it's available as a gift so, very and cool. you can be very specific in your once so and, and also specific. avoidance like I did a once that was like really looking for haunted house books last night and then also one you know they, no books where the dog dies like that kind of specificity on both sides is really cool mm-hmm. and actually very helpful on yeah. the recommenders part um, you know too. Yeah, and totally. Like everybody who listens to this show, I think knows probably what the Book Riot ethos is. So your set of recommendations, it's either three picks or three hardcovers that you get in the mail. Um, always include selections by people of color, always right. include selections by women. It's baked in. Um, we will ask you in your survey if there are any pieces of content that you'd like trigger warnings about, which is like, I will read a book that contains this, but I want to know. And then we also ask about deal breakers as well. So if you're like, absolutely no books in which which the dog dies, we got you. And if you're like, well, 
I don't want the dog to die, but I'll read it anyway. If you give me a heads up, we can do that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so really trying to take into consideration. a. I think it's a really holistic view of the reader and what people might want from their reading lives. All right. So now that we talked to the, about the paid stuff, let's do the free stuff that you go to mytbr.co. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Um, consider it as a gift for someone in your life here. All right, let's get started. Why don't you read the first one or part of the first one? We're not going to read all these. People give us some words, which we like, but makes for bad radio uh, to read the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, this first question is from Maria. Um, Says they've always been fascinated with the early internet. That's like the 90s and the dot-com bubble of the early 2000s and wondering if there are any books they could read about this. Maybe something like an oral history or any kind of history would also be interested in uh, in a book that focused more on Microsoft because they feel like there's a lot of Apple and Mac-focused books, but not so much on their competitor. Um, They're 27. It's still absolutely absolutely wild that I have a little computer in my pocket I can pull out whenever I want to and talk to people and research things. I feel the same way, Maria. It's just bonkers. Um, She's read the Steve Jobs bio and read the Steve Wozniak book as well. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international bestselling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tommen series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon-worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today, and it's the fifth book in the series, so make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. And is wondering what else to pick up. Um, I got one for you. I would like a full oral history, history of Microsoft. I looked for this a while ago for myself when I was doing a tech binge um, read kind of situation where I read a bunch of technology-focused books. Um, and in that streak that I did, 
I read The Innovators by Walter Isaacson, which I think is almost exactly the book you want about the early days of the internet. So the sub is How a Group of Hackers, Geniuses, Geeks Created the Digital Revolution. And it's, a, it's an overview of computer science and then the internet. So it's computers through the internet, um, basically going all the way to Charles Bab- Babbage and Ada Lovelace, who basically invented the first uh, computers, you know, as we recognize them, and Ada Lovelace, who invented the idea of a computer code you know, going all the way through John Van Neumann and then Bill Gates and Paul and, of course, of Microsoft. I think Chapter 9 is about them. There's a chapter on Apple. There's a chapter, a really great chapter on Tim Berners-Lee, who invented the idea of the hyperlink, which is a technology we take so for granted now um, that it's almost ridiculous, Uh, actually as a project at CERN, as a way to connect digital information. Um, It talks about Google, of course. I think this is kind of the best place to start, frankly. And if you're more interested in any particular part of it, you can go read uh, In the Plex by Stephen Levy, which is kind of the the canonical Google book right now. You can go read. There's plenty of good books about the early days of computing. There's a biography of Ada Lovelace out there. It's good right now. John Van Neumann, who might be the most interesting person of the 20th century. You could all do that. So this is kind of a a how we got to now, the Stephen Johnson, which I recommend all Mm. the time, but Mm -hmm. specifically about computers, computers. uh, up, uh, up through. I mean, it doesn't do. It doesn't really go farther than Google, because things that happen after Google aren't really technology differences. Um, you know, Facebook or Twitter or uh, Wikipedia, for example, are just applications of this underlying technology. Um, now, I'm sure someone who knows more, and this is everyone that knows more about this than I do, will say there are significant. Tol- uh, technologies beyond, beyond sort of packet switching and TCP IP protocols and things like this. But really, I think the last 20 years have been an explosion exploration of what all this technology of the last, you know, frankly, a couple hundred years, but in sort of modern computing since the 50s or so, um, really made possible. And there's, a, I think it's in this book, and forgive me if I'm wrong, I don't care actually if it's in this book or not, I'm going to say it is, the fact that I think about all the time that I heard, and I, I thought it was in this book that as of the publication of this book, which I think was 2014, yeah, there was more computing power in one of those autoplay happy birthday greeting cards that you can get than existed on the earth before 1953 <laughs> combined. That is bananas. Which is, says there's a lot of computing power in that card also that there was just not much computing power before <laughs> 1953. Um, you know, I often do that thing of thinking about, you know, if someone born in 1890 or 18, let's say, 85... Uh, there was no electricity, and by the time, let's say, they lived to be 75 or so, they got all the way to the jet age, right? That seems crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, my dad was born in 1951, yep. <laughs> before there were any computers, and he's still alive, and he's got another couple, hopefully a few decades left, and the kind of technological revolution we've seen over the last 50 years really is remarkable. I'm getting excited now, because I like this whole thing, but <laughs> there's my pick, The Innovators <laughs> by Walter Isaacson. Uh, go go check. I did it on audio, which I really like. Um the, uh, I can't remember the guy who audio who narrates this, but I've I, I, he gets plucked out for a lot of these businessy sort of pop popular culture science history books, and he's great. Dennis something I can't remember his name. Uh, <laughs> anyway, those, that's my pick. Go ahead. Let's see. Well, I was yearning for like the book version of Halt and Catch Fire. Yes. I did not find it. I had to Google my way to some things here. But my first discovery was that there was a Michael Lewis book that I didn't know about. Yeah. I saw, you, new... I saw you first, so I didn't yeah. do this, but Yeah. It's called The New New Thing, a Silicon Valley story. We love some Michael Lewis on this show. I'm like a little bit mad at you, Jeff, that you apparently knew about this book and didn't tell me about it. I, um... I, what am I, have you heard of Michael Lewis, Rebecca? What am I going to say to you? That's well, insulting. That's not helpful. I just... <laughs> 
thought we had some baseline expectations here. It's yeah, okay. one is that I don't insult you by saying, have you looked at all of Michael Lewis's books? Anyway, sorry, I'm interrupting you. But I got shots fired at me. I got to at least put my arms up. All right. So I, maybe I'm just, you know, projecting the anger that I really go. have at myself. I'm disappointed in myself for not fully that, discovering That Michael sounds Lewis's. good to me. Let's go that, with You that. think that's, so? That's let's happening. just continue yeah, let's with, with yeah. um, some self-exploration here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Michael Lewis, he of Moneyball and all the other fantastic Michael Lewis books, had this out in 2014 where he goes on according to the synopsis, a safari through Silicon Valley to find the world's most important tech entrepreneur. That person is a guy named Jim Clark, um, whose achievements include the founding of three separate billion-dollar companies. And this is a a history of the internet revolution. I am going to be listening to this on Audible this month. It's in my queue, waiting for my credits to Mm -hmm. appear. Love Michael Lewis. I love the way that he dives into both the like macro and micro of a thing and the way that he uses storytelling to do that. So maybe you want to go on that journey with me, Maria, Um, for Mm. something a little bit later than the time period that you have requested, but that I found really compelling is a new memoir that came out earlier this year called Uncanny Valley by Anna Wiener. Um, She left her job as a publicist um, or in publishing. She left her job in publishing um, in her mid-20s in New York because she was yearning for something that would make her feel like she was doing something more meaningful. So she moved out to San Francisco to get a job in tech. She drank the Kool-Aid for a while. And then she got a little distance and was um, very surprised, all the way from surprised to very troubled by some of the things that she observed uh, in tech and startup culture, both in terms of like office culture itself, Mm. but also really in the big picture of like security and surveillance and what was and was not being disclosed to users, what kinds of information were was being tracked about users. And this is sort of her quarter life crisis through the lens of big questions about Silicon Valley. I found it utterly compelling. Um, and if you are you know, listening to this podcast, because you also have some interest in the juicy bits about publishing, there's like real good tea spilled about mm. life and publishing in about the first 30 pages. Um, so that's Uncanny Valley by um, Anna Wiener. And I really loved that one. All right. Um, up next. Uh, this pandemic has found me with more time than ever to read, but I seem to be hitting a big slump. You are not alone no. in search of Mojo, which is the pseudonym we've used here. Not sure if it's the news, blah, blah, blah. Normally try to trip to the library, but that doesn't work. What would you recommend for finding that book, book extrovert energy? I like literary fiction, memoirs, essays, prize winners, anything with stunning writing. Things Zadie Smith, David Mitchell, David Foster Wallace, Helen Oyemi. But maybe I need to try something new. Thanks. All right. Oh, uh, yep. Okay, what do you got? Oh, so this... I thought you were going to save this for our next show, which is things we're getting through. Qu- oh, I'm uh, going to talk about it on our next oh, show, okay. too. okay. All right. Double dip. That's fine. That's fine. Wash your hands. <laughs> All right. I'm starting with E.B. White. Um, E.B. White is my unexpected quarantine boyfriend, the most valuable player on my quarantine, and I couldn't have seen it coming. (laughs) Um, Like a year ago or so, a friend was mentioning E.B. White's essays from the late 30s and early 40s in a collection called One Man's Meat. Uh, And I have had the book in sitting on the shelves in my office like for that last year and just hadn't gotten to it. And when the pandemic hit, I, I found really I don't have much of an attention span for fiction. I was wanting like somebody to talk to me about real life, but with a little space. And I was like, let's just see what E.B. White has to say. Mm. So the pieces in One Man's Meat are from 
Harper's Magazine. Um, in the late 30s, E.B. White and his wife left New York and they bought a coastal farm in a small town in Maine with basically no experience, like no idea what they were doing. And he wrote a monthly column for Harper's, just mm. sort of observing life there um, and occasionally going back to New York and writing about, about that. It is the most charming, like 300 <laughs> pages I have ever read. There's turns out E.B. White, White can write. Yeah, turns out. Yeah, turns yeah. out. Like, and I mean, like, you know, we would, Jeff and I would get on the phone for regular work calls and I would be like, well, in today's E.B. White news, like he's sitting at his kitchen table on a Sunday morning and they're listening to church on the radio, but his kid is also playing with a thing and he's just sort of living his life, commenting on the world around him. But it was like extra interesting because as the late 30s turn into the early 40s, the world is going back into war. And he's sometimes commenting on that or about the disparity between how peaceful things seem in his little house or the like small things that he finds very consuming about farm life and the, the awareness that still feels remote of what's happening overseas and what's going on with Hitler starting to you know invade places and try to take over. Um, and he writes about fascism and he writes about freedom and he writes about what he thinks democracy what he thinks democracy means. And it was very resonant for 2020 in a lot of ways that I didn't anticipate. Um, mm. And g wonderful pieces. He was born in 1900, I believe. And there's a piece when he's around 40 and he finds his journal from when he was 17. And he's like, yeah. And he, he's like been looking for a job for a day and a half and he hasn't gotten a job yet. And he's like, I guess there's no place for me. Like he even, you know, shows his teenage melodramatic self. He writes all about his dogs, especially this one like very feisty dachshund named Fred. I just loved it. And then I have ordered all of the other E.B. White essay collections. Mm. So I just found his presence to be very comforting. I've been having coffee with E.B. White for like the last seven weeks every morning. Um, additionally, I'd love to recommend to you The Book of Delights by Ross Gay. Um, he's a poet. And this is a really small, beautiful book um, in his the year that he turned 40, he decided to write an essay, a, just a short essay each day about something that delighted him. And some of them are like light, beautiful, delightful things. And some of them are things that carry more meaning. Ross Gay is a black man. He's a gay man. And he writes about like the head nod that African-American men do with each other on the sidewalk and what that what they're saying without saying anything at all and how that delighted him that day. So he sort of weaves in all these things about his perspective. Um, it's not 365 of them. This is just like a, a selection of the ones that he wanted mm. to share. Um, and I found that to be a really lovely look at another person's life. Um, I don't know if I'm quoting somebody or if just like a good, a friend had a smart moment recently. I'll, I'll have to Google it, but they were talking about how, um, the love of the general begins with the love of the specific. Mm. Um, and I've, I felt like Ross Gay really got there about looking and E.B. White too, actually about like looking at these small things that were meaningful and gave beauty um, to their lives led to being curious and interested in caring about the larger world. And to me, that's like, that's the vibe I'm trying to be in <laughs> right now. So um, E.B. White and Ross Gay, where are you going? That's great. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever recommended this book before on one of these, uh, and I don't know why I'm feeling like I need to disclaim to mm. di disclaim the disclaimer. Uh, I'm just not sure. If I haven't, I guess I'm feeling like it's a crime. Um, so beautiful writing, memoir, exciting. 
a lot of uh, people interested in travel writing right now, which might make sense. I know I am part of this too. Um, this is West with the Night by Beryl Markham. She was an aviatrix in the 20s and 30s. Um, she was born in the middle of England, but she and her father moved to Kenya when she was a girl. So she grew up there. She had a zebra from a pet. At a young age, she was clawed <laughs> by a lion. Then she started making money by scouting elephants from a tiny plane, which she flew herself. And she spent the most of the rest you know, of her days up to the point of this. I'm not actually sure what happens to her after this memoir comes out. But she's an adventurer. She trains racehorses. She becomes the first woman to fly from Europe to America unassisted. Um, and wrote, as it turns out, one of the most beautiful books of memoirs you're going to see. It's a little bit out of Africa. It's a little bit um, The Sun Also Rises. Here's one of the blurbs for when it came out. Uh, let's see. She has written so well and marvelously well that I was completely ashamed of myself as a writer. I felt that I was simply a carpenter with words, picking up whatever was furnished on the job and nailing together and sometimes making an okay pig pen. But she can write rings around all of us who consider ourselves writers. And that blurbs, my friends, is from one Mr. Ernest Hemingway um, that appeared on the book. And it's just fantastic. It's really great. There's an. Intro- I was re- I was reminded. There's an introduction in my version from Sarah Wheeler, who is an English travel writer par excellence too. Um, that I think if you like travel writing, especially of a certain sort of British kind, um, she's really great. Her book about um, the most recent one I can't remember. It's about this undiscovered Greek island. She goes. Mm. She, one book's about Chile. One book's about Antarctica. Um, they're all really great, but start with Beryl Markham. You can usually get it at your library through Libby. I think, did we see, was that in this or was that in my TBR? Someone was looking for, what can I find in my Libby app that uh. doesn't have a million weeks long? And this is one that most libraries have, but it's also not as well known uh, as it should be. So that's West with the Night by Beryl Markham. Also, she was born Beryl Clutterbuck. So uh, <laughs> A plus pen name change, because um, that's, that's a disaster, Beryl Clutterbuck. Uh, the other one I have is just sort of a, it's now my default sort of shot of reading Adrenaline, Such a Fun mm, Age um, by Kylie Reed, where, you know, it's, it's, it's between, tell me if this is fair, it's between literary fiction and commercial fiction, like it's sort of in the middle of that a little bit. So it's some of the more, it's more idea driven and issue driven than some, you know, you know, more mass appeal commercial fiction, but it's also sort of juicy and plotty and, uh, uh, I, I don't know, very um, propulsive in a way that like commercial fiction is. So it, you may have heard about us talk about it on our, our It Book discussion that Sharifa and Vanessa and I did about it. But basically, a young black woman is hired as a nanny for an affluent white family. And one day she's called upon by that family to you know take the kid really late at night because they have their own emergency going on. She's been out at the club, you know, dressed up. And so she has this kid that she's walking around basically the equivalent of Whole Foods just to keep it out of the house while they deal with the situation. And basically it's insinuated that she's kidnapped this kid because how could this woman have this kid at this type of night and what's going on here? And then basically everything uh, cascades from that. And it's about race. It's about class. It's about not pe- not being able to understand people. It's sort of a, um, a Dunning-Kruger uh, effect of cultural knowledge. Like you, you don't even know what you don't know and you're stupid. Mm-hmm. You don't even know how stupid you are. And so it makes you think you know things you don't know and it makes it even worse. Um, and also, you'll just fly through it. You know, like I think I said on that show, if you get, if you get to the end of part one, make sure you have two or three hours ready because yep. you're not going to want to put it down um, at that point too. So Beryl Markham's, it's beautiful. It's not going to be like, I got to stay up to see what happens. 
this is a cup of coffee Sunday morning sort of let it flow over you kind of reading where the such a fun age is going to be like it's Friday night you're you know looking to to escape you're looking to have something that really keeps you glued to your lazy boy um, to see what happens and it also it's one of those books that you get through it and has kind of a rush to the end but then you start thinking about there's a lot of interesting questions that arise out of it, like how did, what happened and whose fault it was and how how much accountability do they do and they do and don't have for their actions and their blindnesses and things like that which I think adds a layer of complexity the the the, the finishing notes are very strong even as you as you gulp the wine down so uh, West of the Night Bear Barrel Markham and Such a Fun Age are my two picks there uh, I think you're yeah, such a fun age is that's okay yeah such a fun age is such. A good pick. And I'm fresh off of Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu and now mm. really wishing that such a fun age would, was going to be a series. Oh, I know well, it's it is, I mean, we heard it's going to come at some for point. For a film? Yeah. 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 That's right. Um, okay. Next question is from, do we have a name for them? Mm. A mysterious person who is looking for a read-alike. A couple of years ago, they read Queen of the Night by Alexander Chi and loved it. Me too. It's the closest I've gotten to finding a book that makes me feel like I'm at the opera. Huge opera buff, and they're missing it a lot these days. So looking for something that has that focus on opera, the dishy backstage feel, and the sense of a grand tour of Europe. Uh, they mm. said, I've read what feels like most popular nonfiction about opera and vocal music. have read a bunch of opera singer and critic memoirs trying to capture the feel, but it isn't the same. Oh, this is from Mandy. Looking to fill the opera-shaped hole in their heart during these times. Hmm. This oh, that means I'm tough. up first. Yeah, it's tough. This is tough. Uh, I, you know, the best one I came up with was one that's not out yet. And I have no idea about it. This came out of looking <laughs> at the, when we did the deals, deals, deals one. Um, oh, it's yeah. called Imogen Crimp is the name of the author, which is an unbelievable name. It's called The High Notes. So it's pitched as Sally Rooney meets Black Swan in the highly okay. competitive world of opera singing. I mean, you're in. I don't know what to tell you if that's what you're looking for here. Um, that's coming out, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> this is so mean. Why did I do this, Rebecca? You should have, oh, you should this have intervened. Is super mean. This is horrible. I just saw the date. Oh no, we have to cut this. <laughs> no, no, I'm, we're not gonna. We're not gonna. Cut this. We're sorry, uh, Mandy, but you can be first on your library's yeah, old list. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <sighs> early 2022, man. Early 2022. That is rough. I. So, again, put it on your Goodreads shelf. Set a calendar <laughs> alert. How far does Google Calendar go in the, into the future? Uh, uh, yeah, definitely. Anyway. I don't, th yeah, I don't think you can even put it on your Goodreads list yet. Oh, no. This is a crime. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, um, so that's my, that's one on the opera tip. Boy, that, that's too bad. Um, my other one, again, it's not really about opera, but I was trying to think of something that gets you kind of sucked in to the kind of the feeling of Queen of the Night. And I don't know what you think. Have you read Crimson Petal in the White? I know you're a Michael Faber fan. Yeah, that's my Faber. recommendation here. Oh, I did we both pick it? Or am I, I looking don't, at it right? You're, you're looking at... <laughs> you're, you're smarter at than I am. <laughs> oh, Lord. That's RJS. Okay. And I was like, boy, that's a good pick. I'm really smart. No, I'll let you talk about Crimson Petal in the White. Well, Bel Canto by Ann Patchett. I mean, I guess is the 
that's the first one that comes to mind, right? Like if it's set mm-hmm. in the world of opera. Um, I kind of be and it's not this. Go ahead. Yeah, it's not on this list that Mandy gave us of things that she's well, read related to opera. That's why I was a little suspicious because it's kind of like the best known literary fiction book about opera, I think. I mean, Queen of the Night is more recent, but Anne Patchett and Belcanto, like this is on the paperback favorite section uh, in Barnes & Noble kind of a book. Um, so if you haven't read Belcanto, go get that right now. I don't need to tell you anything more about it because it's. Ex- I think it's almost exactly what you're looking for, frankly. Um, so Rebecca, go talk to me about your <laughs> wonderful pick. That I am also <laughs> glomming on to, like the oh. literary succubus that I am. <laughs> literary succubus would be such a good show Incredible title. show title. <laughs> uh, okay, well, it's been a long time since I read this, and I actually really want to go back and reread mm-hmm. it again. Um, the Crimson Petal in the White, big, sprawling novel, not about opera, but it feels like opera. Yes. It feels um, like there should be an opera based on Crimson Petal yes. and White. Yeah, yes, right. absolutely. Um, it's set in London in the 1870s, 1880s. It's about a young woman named Sugar. She is a prostitute who lives and works in a brothel run by a terrifying, awful madam. And she's yearning for a better life. She gets that opportunity to sort of ascend up through society um, through a relationship with a man named William Rackham. And we see their relationship. Um, He is also complex and not the best dude at times, Mm. not surprising. Um, The story is really big and like spools you through all these different levels of English society and it's the Victorian era and things are lavish, but also, you know, there are prostitutes living in brothels working with terrifying madams. And it has that like sort of gritty, it's like both really beautiful and also really gritty and like Dickensian at times. Yeah. Um, And and broken up into sections, the I believe it's the second section of the book flips into um, second person voice that is like the to this day, like the best example, I think, of how you write in a mm. second person voice and why a writer would make that choice and what they would do. Like that's a, you know, sort of a craft, like technical note, but I loved it very much. Um I first read this, I think I was like 20 when I first read it. And that was 18 years ago. And I'm still thinking about it. So Mm. (laughs) that should tell you something. But it it feels like you're inside a story of the opera. There is a secret daughter who's been hidden away somewhere. There's, you know, subterfuge and romance and Mm -hmm. some violence. And I don't remember all the specifics. So I can't recall if there are things there's probably stuff in here that should be trigger warning but i don't know the details um it's wonderful like yeah and now i'm talking i'm thinking like maybe this would get me into fiction maybe i should get off this call and go (laughs) read the crimson petal and the white this afternoon it is so 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 good like that Mm. feeling that the queen of the night gave you i had that i i loved the queen of the night and i had that same feeling in the crimson petal and the white and i just think michelle faber like he's known for so many things and he should really be known for this book. And I don't understand why we don't talk about it more. Faber's one, uh, we were talking about Whitehead on one of the previous shows who, you know, the next book could be a complete curveball, and Faber is very much in the same uh, order, right? Um, Yes. By a lot, by a lot of ways. So, 
just because you like Crimson Petals and White doesn't necessarily, if you like it because of the style or theme, you may not necessarily like the next book. Yeah. If you're ready for the same brain to serve you up something, uh, you can be really surprised. Uh, let's see. I'm up next. This one is for grads in an indirect route. I teach. I'm constantly looking for books on how to do better, think better, create better for my students. So what's new and good? I've reread Thinking Fast and Slow a few times. Thank you for that. You're welcome for mm-hmm. that. Malcolm Goodwill is good, but he ain't all the whole bag of chips. That is well said. Agreed. I love Habits by Charles Dewey. Grit by Angela Duckworth comes a close second um, to Thinking Fast and Slow. It sounds like we're on the same mm-hmm. wavelength here, uh, Olivia. Um, also, she is seconding a podcast on our favorite books. That is a physical impossibility that we can do a podcast on our favorite books, but I think we're going to do some more sort of themed kind of stuff. Where do you want to go here? I am going to go to, I, I just also latched onto what you latched onto that we seem to be on the same wavelength yeah. <laughs> with this reader. So um, these are not, I they're not like straight self-help business development books, like uh, the ones that uh, we, that mm-hmm. you've mentioned in here, Habits and Grit, but they're in the same vein, I think, or like they make an interesting next step. Um, one of them is The Power of Meaning by Emily S. Fahani Smith. I've talked about it um, on the show a couple of times, but she gathers up a wealth of research from sociology and biology and psychology and sort of all the modern social sciences um, to argue that all the stuff that we're doing in contemporary life looking and probably, you know, like in the history of humanity, looking for ways to be um, happy, trying to find happiness so that our lives can be good is misguided because it turns out, according to all of the research, that the thing that makes us feel satisfied with our lives is a sense of meaning. And she dives into what, what does that look like? Um, how mm. do you find what your meaning is in life? And then if you are probably like most people, um, discovering that your meaning and your sort of sense of purpose as a human are not the same thing as your work, um, how can you tap into you know feeding that part of yourself? Um, and what does it mean to give up like trying to be happy and instead trying to feel fulfilled and like something is meaningful? I really loved it. I think about it all the time, and I found it to be an interesting way to make decisions. Um, like, what will be a more meaningful experience is a different question from what will be like fun or what will make me yeah. happy. Um, and I find that to be a really just incredibly helpful distinction. The other is a more recent book, um, ironically appeared all over Instagram last year called How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. Um, it's about resisting the attention economy. And this is not like a never look at your phone, mm-hmm. never be on social media, anti-technology book. Um, she just reminds us that like, in the economy of social media and the internet, attention is the currency and we are the product and one way like one form of resistance is to participate less or to participate differently or with a new kind of mindfulness um it's really interesting because odell's an art critic and she brings in observations from the art world and also experiences just from her own life about disconnecting a little bit more and how um, rather than choosing to disconnect, it's about choosing to plug into what's in front of you. Mm. So it's not so much put your phone down as it is for her, like 
have breakfast sitting on your balcony and look at that crow and the baby crow and observe them every day when they come visit. And then you get to know them and how you feel connected to the place you live because you know these birds or because you look at that same tree every day um, or, you know, something like that. Um, I really loved it um, because it's not preachy at all. She's not telling you technology is the devil. Um, She's saying if you feel like your use of technology is pulling you away from the place you really want to be, like with the people and the stuff in your life that are right in front of you, here's how you can think about plugging back in and what that does on a systemic level as well. I really liked that one. Yeah. And I guess my first pick is relate. I mean, you've read them both. Uh, I haven't Mm -hmm. read um, the one you just mentioned, but this, my first pick is Bored and Brilliant um, by Manoush Zamarodi, I believe is how you say it. Rodi, Mm -hmm. Rodi. and it's the subtitle is how spacing out can unlock your most productive and creative self. I think it's a little bit more strident in its unpluggyness vibe mm-hmm. than what you were just describing. Is that yeah, a fair it is. characterization? It is, yeah. um, which is fine. I, I think both of them, uh, at least what you described, are on the same tip, which is not really that there's any one right way to internet, but you should be thinking about how you are interneting. Just don't let it happen to you. Like not making a choice yeah. about how you're going to engage with technology and social media and the various things that go along with it is a choice, right? And it may not necessarily be the choice you are comfortable making. You may not even know the consequences uh, of the choice you're making. If intention is the currency, the price you are paying is your attention at what cost? What opportunity cost of that attention um, are are you paying out without really even knowing it? Because it's so easy because it's free and Mm -hmm. it's available and ubiquitous. It's always on um, and always there to give you that dopamine hit to really... um, you know, the off-ramps of boredom are always closed on the internet. And there's an argument here for letting your mind wander through, getting through that place of feeling distracted, of feeling frustrated, of having a creative block, of not knowing what to do. And rather than go look at something um, to fill that space, dwell in that space, use that space, acknowledge that space, find out what creative things that space, to, to which um, ends that creative space can be used. Uh, and we read it as a as a company, um, and, you know, some people liked it better than others. It's pretty short, so, you know, it's not, it's not going to be a slog. I happen to notice right now, this is by way of looking at the page, you can get it for four bucks on Amazon Kindle right now, so it's pretty easy to, fi- easy to, find, to find and buy. Um, any, anything, what, what else about Bored and Brilliant? Did I yeah. miss anything that's important? No, there? I think it's, um, it's a really interesting sort of pairing with How to Do yeah. Nothing. I would recommend taking them together and then pulling the useful parts from each. Bored and Brilliant's much more prescriptive about yeah, these yeah, are the yeah. steps you take to unplug and Zomorodi's sort of purpose for unplugging is let your mind wander and then you'll have better ideas. Um, mm. And Jenny O'Dell's, you know, reason you should do nothing is more like because just being present feels better. Yeah, and um, I should say that the kind of uh, impetus, the kernel around which the book is written is that um, Zomorodi hosts a podcast and she had a bunch of her listeners do an experiment with her about unplugging and turning things mm-hmm. off and trying different very like formal structures. So like it, it, there is a bit of a how-to bit, right? Which yeah. is can be helpful. Like try a, uh, a vacation, I think, is one of the words where you just, you don't touch your technology for a day. Or you do fifteen, even just a fifteen-minute break in the middle of a workday, or something like that. So it gives some structure to a general idea of like, what if you didn't plug in as much? Well, what does that mean? What does as much mean? What are some right. habits you can develop, and other things like that too, as well. The other one, and this is a book I just got uh, again. I listened to it on audio, but I realized that I think about it so much that I really need a, a print copy so I can mark it up and um, 
um, make it more of a reference material. It's Originals by Adam Grant, and it's about creativity. Um, and it's, it is catnip for me because it takes stories and case studies from business and sports and entertainment, um, but then also does studies about behavioral psychology and other things like that, about how to have more interesting and better and different kinds of ideas. Um, God, look at that, two ninety nine on Kindle right now. So I guess we're all, uh, you know, at home trying to think of how to be better and try to do something with our lives right now. Um, I think it's great, and I, Adam Grant, I'm a little concerned he's making the transition to highly paid person with one of those headsets that wraps around your head and you know talks <laughs> with their hands with a big slide behind them for two hundred thousand dollars at Intel, which is Just fine. To- Good for you. Congratulations to you, Adam Grant. That's fine. But like, that's not what I want. Like, he does. He's like he does the Gladwell thing with more science mm-hmm. on the whole, right? Not too much more. It's not like Kahneman, right? Which, hey, no shade, but it's a different thing, right? Um, he kind of bridges the line between academic and popular culture mm-hmm. writer. Kahneman's a little on the other side of that line, and Gladwell's on the other side. And I think Grant is like crossing the streets just in the right way where you can get the, marsh- the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man into the trap, <laughs> Um for for my particular brain. Yeah, I uh, feel like Adam Grant is like if Michael Lewis gave TED Talks about work. Yeah, it, it, because, <laughs> and I can understand why a business want to pay him an, a godly amount of money because like the ideas are the same reason I want to print copy to annotate is the same reason they want him to come talk to you know their engineers or their managers or whoever. Uh, and it's very lucrative and, and blah, blah, blah. And he teamed up with Cheryl... Um, uh, Sandberg to write Option B, which is a really interesting book about grief. Give and Take was really fascinating about being generous uh, at work. So I like the whole Adam Grant uh, corpus, but Originals, I think, is the culmination to this point. And I hope it's not the apex. I hope there are other peaks in the in the range of books he gives. My fear is the siren song of corporate speaking gigs will be too powerful mm. um, to, to overcome. So anyway, those are my picks, Originals, and then Bored and Brilliant. Uh, Rebecca, what's next? What is next? Oh, a sponsor. Sponsor's next. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. 
Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increasingly more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. Okay, now we did a sponsor. So now what's next? Okay, now we have a parent, Keitha, yeah. um, writing in for her son. He's graduating high school this year and planning on attending an in-state university, um, anxious and stressed over choosing a major. And from there, the worries about what kind of career he should have and what if he can't find anything he likes or is even good at. And then he just, you know, spirals all the way down. Yeah. Um, the pandemic and uncertainty surrounding his upcoming plans, like will there be classes online? Um, will they be doing in-person? And orientations, what is life going to look like? Just all of this in general is adding oh, to God, this. Sounds terrible. I'm so unease. sorry here. I know what an just an awful year to be making a major life transition of oh, any kind. But I God. think leaving your home for the first time to go Jesus. be a college student has to be one of the the bigger ones. Um, Keitha has heard us talk about how it's weird that there's not a great college guide that's about you know living your life as a college person, not just about getting good grades. Um, and so she's looking for recommendations recommendations for a smart, occasionally anxious reader who's headed to college. And Keitha, I did appreciate the joke you included about yes. not, not including oh, the places you'll go. So you're, you're up first here. Um, my heart wants to recommend. I don't know how if this person has any v even vaguely literary inclination, but the vaguely literary inclination version of Oh, the Places You'll Go is Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer oh, Maria yes. Wilka. Yes, yes, um, that's such a good pick. And which isn't here, and I just kind of thought of it as we were thinking about it, which is, so Rainer Maria Rilke is a German poet, and his day was very well known. And, you know, a kid sounds kind of like the person you're thinking about in terms of wondering what life is going to be like, what should I do, writes Rilke letters just saying, would you talk to me? And they, they start a correspondence. And this is the collection of Rilke's responses to this, this oh. kid. He has no reason, right, Rebecca, to spend any time with. Yeah. Uh, to give advice and encouragement. It's and it's not prescriptive and sort of like, you know, dwell in the questions. It's, like, it's mm -hmm. like one of those kinds of things that feels like a Brene Brownism, like but 150 years ago in Germany from a poet. It's a very small thing. I For a while, I kept it. This is not a joke. I kept a copy in my backpack um, that I would just break out every now and again because it's so affirming without being prescriptive. It doesn't tell you everything's okay or going to be okay, but that trying to figure it out is okay, that the trying is okay. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I, I think, A, buy it for yourself and read it and see if you want it. Keep it for yourself. I wish every college student who or high school student who is going to get all oh, the places to go would get this instead. Can we do yes. this? Can we make this happen? Can we make this the joke rather than all oh, the places you'll go? I would love that. I would that. love that also. Um, um, so that's one. And then, man. Oh, go ahead. 
you just Anything, you just maybe won. that's my pick. I'll just I'll leave you it. Just, there. I have some other ideas, that's, but that's the one I would It's do. beautiful. That's a perfect pick. And like I didn't find Rilke until a bit later in life, but there's a I have a journal that sits on my desk that's filled with like sort of a commonplace book that's filled with quotes and now it's things often that I'll read like at the end yeah. of yoga class if I'm teaching. So here's like your little flavor of Rilke because I have that try to love the questions thing. So we're, we're just going to let's just read to the people for a minute Ugh, because here's the good word from Raina Maria Rilke this morning. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers, which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Mm. Mm. So good. I mean, sh- let's let's end the service. Let's get the doxology <laughs> going. To all blessings flow. Get the pipe organ playing. Let's get out of here. Um, it's that's that. a beautiful it's just a beautiful pick and such a beautiful book and i do think it's if he has any if this kid has any literary inclinations or if you think he'd be willing to just hang with it yeah it's it's, it's wonderful and i wish i think we've talked about this on the show with both um some of the self-help picks and the Brene brown stuff like I wish that when I was a super ambitious 18-year-old, yes. someone had said these things Chill to me. the F out. Right. And just, just try to figure it out just, as you go. You yeah, know? that yeah. like nobody has it all figured out. Like if he does, if your kid does go off to school this fall and is looking around the, the classrooms, like nobody in any of those rooms has it any more figured out no. than he does. Some of them are maybe just faking it better. <laughs> and no, that's I think true. this is... This remains true through so many moments in most of life that like everybody like this is the fundamental truth, I think, is that everybody is just muddling through trying to make Mm -hmm. sense of it the best we can at each turn. And the earlier you can make sense of that in your life, the more affirming it is that like there's nothing to spiral or freak out about like horrible things that are outside of our control do happen to people also spiraling about them doesn't prevent them but like obsessing about getting the perfect grade so you can pick the perfect major and then have the perfect career like that doesn't exist nobody does it um i think Brene brown is a good place to go here for some just real talk Mm -hmm. um maybe you want to like read these together but one of her earlier books is called the gifts of imperfection let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are and she gets at um i think the kernel of what's in this question that you don't have to earn being good enough or earn being worthy enough or like have a fancy career or live in a special place or pick the right major like you just are worthy because you're a human Um, and how do you how do you make that feel true to yourself and sort of release um, the fears about these things. And I asked our contributors, like, what would you recommend for a younger person? Because um, Brene definitely does speak more to the adult experience. And a couple folks recommended a book by Michelle Poehler called Hello Fears, Crush Your Comfort Zone and Become Who You're Meant to Be. Um, and she is um, very, has an active audience online and challenges people to 
say hello to your fears and find meaningful happiness outside the traditional definition of success. So it's a look at sort of a combination of a bunch of the books we've talked about, I think, already on this episode about like figuring out what will make your life feel meaningful and good outside of checking all the boxes of picking the right major and getting all of the the right grades. Um, But I'm going to just sit here. You know, we've each had a good moment. I got the crimson petal in the white, but I think I tried to steal from you. (laughs) <laughs> I think I think you won it here with letters to a young poet. That's just well. Let's be selection. fair. Let's be fair. That's just it, whoever thinks to reach for it first. That's wins. true. That's all that is. I can't take any credit for that. Uh, let's see. I'm going up next. Hi, Jeff Rebecca. I'm not a grad mom or a dad. I'm requesting a recommendation for myself. Wreck thyself. Thank you very much, Emily. <laughs> um, shielding right now, as you can imagine, I'm feeling extra cooped up. Uh, recommendations that can take me off on an adventure. I don't care where I go. Back in time, into the future. Full of monsters, just get me out of here. I love all genres, though I'm a scaredy cat, so horror is touch and go with me. Welcome um, to the club, Emily. We made we made jackets that we don't wear out of the house. Um, past <laughs> books I've loved include The Mercies, Free Food for Millionaires, Carry On, and A Quiet Place. Thanks for your help. Thanks for always entertaining me as much as the house would task. Listening to your episodes is my main motivator for doing the dishes. Hey, whatever you got to do to scrape them plates. Um, uh, Rebecca, you're up first. All right. Let's see. I'm going to start with a book that you recommended to me years ago that I just recently got to at the beginning of the stay home order. So this is a co-recommendation, Barbarian Days, A Surfing Life by William Finnegan, Utterly Transporting, all over the world. Mm. Uh, He grew up in California in the 50s and 60s, got hooked on surfing, spent the 70s traveling the world, catching waves, living this, like living the kind of sort of like Jack Kerouac, but surfer (laughs) (laughs) life. Um, Looking also for happiness and meaning and big adventure. And it's just, this is just stunning. Uh, The way he writes about surfing and the like that particular like way of viewing the ocean was really fascinating all the places that he goes the people that he meets um finnegan's been a writer for the new yorker for a very long time and just uh, just a fantastic voice but i loved every page of this book um i've never been interested in like the mechanics of surfing and he made me very interested in them and in a way writes about them in a way that like you don't have to have ever surfed um to understand but that really took me to a different time and place um the most fun i've had reading in the last couple of years especially as a series that i tore through is the crazy rich asian series by kevin kwan i i think that comes up in my picks on most of these recommendation shows, because it does take you, um, if you're listening from the US, it takes you around the world um, to Singapore and to mainland China, um, particularly to very, very lavish, wealthy lifestyles and like the levels of drama and gossip <laughs> and parties and just like, just amazing and so fun. If you've seen the movie, I'd really encourage you to read the books anyway. There's just even more detail, even more off-the-wall characters. Um, Just a great time. And I think a a story and a world where the characters are all really richly portrayed. You feel like you might recognize them if you met them out in public, and it will take you away from where you are uh, right now. And then my last quick pick is Daisy Jones and the Six, um, which will take you to California, particularly in the 70s, to like groovy hippie rock band lifestyle. Um, 
based or inspired, I think, largely by Fleetwood Mac, but it's the story of a, a band with a broody front man and a young woman, Daisy Jones, who becomes their singer. They have this very electric, collaborative relationship, maybe romantic relationship, and the novel is told as if it's an oral history of the band's life. If you do audiobooks at mm. all, I don't know, like while you're doing the dishes, um, Daisy Jones and the Six is a terrific audiobook with a full cast. Um, including Jennifer Beals and Benjamin Bratt. And I just also ripped through that one. I've got two travel rec- book recommendations, one heavier, one lighter. Let's start with the lighter one first. I had this on my list for a long time, and it, it didn't float to the top because, scandalously, there is no audiobook version of this, which I find unacceptable uh, in any book that I want to read. That, so, you know, there's <laughs> that. Um, it's called Around the World in 80 Trains by Monisha Rajesh. She and her fiance, this is a this is true, this is nonfiction, I should say. Um, pack up and go on a forty five thousand mile train adventure, mostly through Asia, I should say, but ride different kinds of trains in different kinds of countries, and I don't care what you think <laughs> about me, but it is delightful all the way from taking <laughs> it these sounds wonderful. These little like these little like rickety funiculars in Tibet all the way to the actual Orient Express with like silk sheets and all that kind of stuff all along the way. So you're looking at different countries, different forms of travel. You know, she's a really engaging uh, writer and you learn about the countries and about trains and you get to travel, but you also don't have to take the funicular up to Tibet. You also have to go uh, to North Korea if you want to you get to learn about it. This is what I want in, I guess I would call this sort of trunk comfort travel mm. writing where... I feel like I'm with the people in its adventure. I would like to go on, but then I also don't have to. They did it already. <laughs> um, so that's always nice for me as someone who kind of, you know, sort of, I, you know, the difference between reading about this and doing it is like, I'm getting like 74% of the experience, I feel like. And that, actually, that extra 26%, it can stay over there. I'm fine. That's 12 bucks well spent um, over there. The other one is, I'm not sure if this is a book people know about. It's called Stories from the Sahara by San Mao. Um, it's newly in English for the first time. I think it, the, the hardcover came out in the fall, though it's been a hit around the world. Millions of copies in print. So San Mao, um, I think she's Chinese. Ooh, I can't remember now. It's been a little bit. Anyway, she, she, she's a young girl growing up, and she kind of falls in love with the idea of Africa deserts as a, as a young kid. Um, she becomes a novelist, and eventually she gets engaged and takes her husband with her, and they move to live with indigenous people in West Africa. And they just, they just do that and explore, <laughs> and, and they, you know, it's, it's about young love and trying to figure out your place in the world. Also, discovering a place you've kind of fantasized about, how it's different and the same and it's what you hoped, and more than that, and less than that. The writing is exceptional. Um, uh, the translation, uh, hats off. Um, I, I don't know much about translation or or what all went into this, but it's a remarkable book. I hope now that it's in English, it's the kind of thing people, people find about where around the world in 80 trains is sort of a lark. This is throwing your whole life into going to a different place. Um, and it is really, really something else. So those are my two picks. Um, Stories from the Sahara by San Mao, and then Around the World in 80 Trays, uh, Trains by Monisha Rajesh. 
Okay. Well, I'm going to read both of those, and then you're going to need to apologize to Bob for the conversation <laughs> we're going to have shortly thereafter about how I need to then ride yeah. all the funiculars. All the funiculars. Because <laughs> you, know, you can't just read about a funicular no. in my life. No, you gotta. I you need gotta, to, you gotta I tell gotta, someone about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. And, and then uh. like put it on the list, and then figure out how to get there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> th- that there are eighty different kinds of trains alone. The fastest train in the world goes two hundred sixty-eight <laughs> miles an hour. It's a bullet train, in Japan. I'm sorry, I'm doing it. To, I'm doing the thing you're threatening to do to Bob to you. <laughs> Except my version is like, hey, there's this funicular, and I want to be on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this next one, let's see. This is, I didn't have any here, so I'm just going right. to read the, the pick right. for you. Um, we are looking for book recommendations for a recent grad, which is this person. Good job, recent graduate on requesting books for yourself. They just got their master's degree in library and information science, and I'm trying to think of the perfect book to encapsulate their time there. Looking for thoughtful books about books or librarians to help give the motivation in these trying times. Um, Says, haven't really entered the world of self-help books, but that could be because I haven't really seen a self-help or motivation book that I'd be interested in. Likes fantasy, but not sci-fi. Mystery, historical fiction, nonfiction, and reads widely from kids Mm. to middle grade to YA on through adult i like always feel like i'm gonna get kicked out of professional book nerddom because i just don't read books about books really well uh (laughs) take it away um i will say as a to, to reverberate this recommendation request i would like to read the lab girl for librarians if that book exists i looked for this i've looked for Mm -hmm. it from time to time um, I haven't seen it. I'm sure there must be memoirs by librarians. I assume for a minute, too, that the library book by Susan Orlean is something already on this person's radar. Um, it has its flaws, but it also walks through sort of the utility and history, uh, especially of the Los Angeles County Library, which is specific because of the story. But also, Orlean clearly loves libraries in, in, in a wider way. I've got a fiction, I've got two fiction picks, which is, is not super helpful. One is more fun, and it's kind of about librarians, but also kind of not. Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore by Robin Sloan. Did you, you've, I'm sure you've read this, Rebecca. Have you not read I this? I haven't, no. Oh, I'm, you read Lexicon by Max Berry, because I kind of think yes. of them together, and that's the one that you have read. So mm-hmm. Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore, Robin Sloan, a very interesting creative writer who also works in technology, set up here is young man, kind of at loose ends, Gets a job at this seemingly sleepy used bookstore in San Francisco that no one seems to buy books from and doesn't really have a business model. And the people coming out are asking these sort of non-sequitur questions that he doesn't really understand. And so finally, one day, he goes to this part of the store that maybe he shouldn't, and it's about something else. There's a secret society, and there's like these librarians in charge of things, and there's maybe some magic involved. There's also some code breaking. It's really fun more than it's like, boy, I'm glad I'm going to be a librarian. But if you like books about books... That's a really fun one, too. Another one that may be a little more, like, feel good about the idea of libraries and, and being, in the, being in the professional business of getting books into people's hands is called The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek um, by Kim Richardson. This is historical fiction based on these, and this is going to sound like a non sequitur, um, these mobile librarians in Kentucky that... We're in the business of trying to get books to people way out in the the hills. 
and they would pack up horses with books and take them out and, you know, get 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 the word to the people through a variety of ways. So this is a little bit more like kind of commercial fiction, but it's based on a true story. I remember we ran a post on the book, the, the like the horseback librarians of Kentucky a while ago on the site. And this this book is based not on that post, of course, but the same idea. I thought it was really fun and affirming um, and extraordinary to think about what, you know, we, we, I grinch about sitting at home and I can't get the Libby book I want on my phone right now from my pajamas, where in the old days, you'd have to wait for the, per- the woman on the horse to come with your books. Um, but it's, it's really, really fun. And, you know, it, it, it was actually kind of a low-key hit um, as well. So that one is really, uh, I, I think if you're looking for a take your mind off of it, but also aren't librarians grand kind of a book. Um, <laughs> that's my pick for you. But also out there, podcast at bookriot.com, memoir of being a librarian. I, we will sing it from the rooftop if it's even passably good, I would suggest. I would think over <laughs> yeah. time. Right? If somebody has the lab girl of librarian life sitting in a desk drawer somewhere, I'm here for yes. it. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I almost, I almost said like "Weather" by Jenny Awful, which is she's a librarian, but I'm not sure that makes you feel better about being a librarian. <laughs> that. I don't think that makes you want to pursue that career. No, no. I mean, it, it is a but thing not, you can it, do. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I'll read the next one for us. Um, I am looking for a book for my sister. She reads almost exclusively by uh, audiobooks, and I'm looking for more recommendations to give her. She has liked Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, Educated by Tara Westover, and the Outlander series by Diana Gabaldon. So I think I'm looking for a fast-paced, character-centered story that she can listen to. Thank you. Love the show. Oh, thank you, Ellie. You're up. All right. I latched onto the fast-paced, character-centered story part of this, and one that I'm just thinking of. I don't know how the audiobook of it is. Um, but for folks who loved Educated by Tara Westover, I have recently seen a lot of people starting to talk about The Glass Castle again mm-hmm. by Jeanette Wells. Jeanette Why? Wells, Jeanette, Wa- Jeanette Walls. I think because the dads are similar. Okay. Um, and it's like these sort of chaotic childhood stories. Yeah, um, I guess that's Different true. kinds of chaos, but... Uh, a similar outcome, I think, in the feeling. So I don't that like that book, wor- so I'm just curious. I yeah, that might be worth a look. Um, I haven't read Glass Castle since, you know, when it came out a million years ago. Um, but for some reason, I've been seeing people talk about, like, I loved the Glass Castle and Educated gave me the same vibe. So take that mm-hmm. for what you will. Um, fast-paced, character-centered stories. I loved City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, I read it on vacation last year, back when vacations were a thing that people did. And it's um, set in the 1940s in New York City. It's about a um, 19-year-old girl. Her name's Vivian. She gets kicked out of Vassar because she doesn't do so well her freshman year. And her rich parents send her to Manhattan Mm. to live with her Aunt Peg, um, who owns this just sort of dramatically disastrous theater in Midtown. Um, Vivian there meets the, a very colorful cast of characters, um, including her Aunt Peg's p- perhaps, probably, almost definitely um, lover. And she, you know, discovers what lesbians are for the first time in her life. Um, she also feels very empowered by these people to explore different ways of being than her rich suburban parents had 
introduced as possibilities for her. Mm. Um, and this the story is told from the perspective of Vivian being 89 years old and telling her life story at the end of her life, having lived um, a life that was at times glamorous, at times risky. Um, it's sexy and empowering. Elizabeth Gilbert um, writes these female characters that own their choices and they own their bodies and there's no shame. Um, it's not like... It's not like reading a romance novel, but this is a story about a woman coming of age. And part of that is understanding what sex is in her life. Um, so if there's any like turn off about that for uh, this person that you're shopping for, just FYI, I think, though, if they loved Outlander, there's a lot more sex in Outlander mm. than there is in City of Girls. And this was just a really it was a really wonderful story. I would have listened to Vivian talk to me for like another six hours. Um, really wonderful and fun. I think it would be great on audio. Um, and since you mentioned that she liked Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, which I listened to on audio and is hysterical and thoughtful and interesting. Um that's a really hard one to match. I think yeah. it's um, one of the best comedic memoirs. Um, but I recently listened to Dear Girls by Ali Wong, mm. and it's written as a series of letters to her young daughter. Ali Wong works pretty blue most of the time. Uh, so just, you know, beware. <laughs> um, like she, These stories that she's telling her girls are very colorful, um, but it was really, really funny and fun on audiobooks. So that might be worth a look also. I'm, I think I'm double dipping. Um, I didn't put it here, but the, the obvious answer to me, just because I know I didn't do it on audio, but Sharif and Vanessa both raved about the audiobook of such a fun age, mm. um, which apparently is fantastic. It's character driven. She will rip through that. So that's, that's one double dip. I think that's my number one pick. Then I, I kind of went to just my favorite audiobook experiences a little oh, bit. Good. It's a good, you know, choice. Sarah Vowell narrating her own audiobooks. It's nonfiction. Um, so I, I can say by Born a Crime and Educated that your sister doesn't mind, maybe even likes nonfiction. But Sarah Val does these cracked U.S. history tours that are that are genuous and interested, but also ironic and satirical and just a lot of fun to listen to. Um, Sarah Val, a longtime NPR contributor, also the voice of Violet in The Incredibles, one of the, you know, the sort of the, the NPR person's recognizable voices of our time, I think, in a lot of ways. You know, other ones, speaking of recognizable voices that you, I, I've, you know, I've had someone I live with ask for read alike or listen alikes to The Clancy's mm. of Queens um, by Tara Clancy. Oh, yeah, that's a good Which one. is just an unbelievable audio experience. Um, it's a story about growing up in Queens um, in a working class family and being gay and having a big, loud family and also being big and loud and having a great accent that you just kind of want to listen to forever. Um, one of the great audio experiences where people ask, I'd like another book by Clancy's of, by like the Clancy's of Queens. I'm always like, uh, so I can at least recommend that as well. Then another one kind of just on a different tip about an audio. I remember driving in my car, listening to hunger by Roxanne Gay. Mm. Um, talk about, her experience of being a fat person in the world and what it means and what it shouldn't mean and what it does mean and what she wish it didn't mean and how it felt um, and being raw and erudite and smart and sad and resolved and all the things that that book is um, just one of the one of the great audiobook experiences I can remember having too. So really, I'm just throwing heaters for audiobooks um, outside of uh, the specifics there. So those are my handful of picks. Uh, as well, uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Who you read the last? No, I read the last one. So 
Um, let's do one more sponsor to get that out of the way and see how many more we can get through here. Okay, Rebecca, what do we want next? All right, we've got Isabel, who um, is noting that with all the physical locations of libraries closed, they are near San Francisco Bay. Um, they're leaning heavily on the library ebook system, and this is what you were thinking of, Jeff. They're lo- uh. reading mainly classics, historical fiction, historical mysteries, and is looking for something that won't have a bonkers long wait time um, mm-hmm. on the ebook line. Uh, so, where are you going? Um. Well, so one I thought of, because it's in the public domain now, which means it probably shouldn't have a wait list unless the particular uh, edition your library has, for whatever reason, is proprietary, has some weird introduction that someone's copyrighted, is Parnassus on Wheels by Christopher Morley, which is a a charming little book written in the 19-aughts, I think, about someone who (laughs) decides to go out and just start a traveling bookstore. Um, you know, and go around the the country basically on a horse-drawn cart where they can sell books and pick up used books and recommend books and have a connection with other people. And kind of not unlike the the bookwoman um, of Kentucky is really about someone who wants to go out and have a connection to the world and uses books as the vehicle to do it. It's not very long. It's not very heavy. Um, it's not for it's not very really specific specifically well written, but it has a charm that I find really ineluctable uh, and difficult to describe. And if you like that, the Haunted Bookshop, also by Christopher Morley, is a good read. So I'd imagine that's available right away. Then I sort of went through like what's like kind of five to ten years old that had a moment, but maybe isn't as I don't know hasn't hasn't become sort of one of the things that people would think to look for if they're not a book nerd necessarily. Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke is a contemporary mystery set in Texas, which has a really great sense of place, a good story, good voice there. And then The Little Stranger by Sarah Waters. This one, I think, is probably a little bit well-known. I guess I'd probably think, now I think about it, has more of a um, a list. But it's also a mystery, but it's historical fiction. It's set right after World War II in Britain, where a doctor goes to this house um, to check on a patient, and it's this you know crumbling family mansion, and shocker, things are not all great at this particular house. Um, but it's a really enveloping, page-turning read. I think maybe you've got a shot of not having a billion-year hold on it because it's been out for a while. Um, but those would be my handful of picks there. What do you have, uh, Rebecca? See, I was thinking sort of broad, trying to think broadly about like yeah. how to get to stuff that wouldn't have a super long list. And I think I was along the same lines that you were of like what had a moment a while back. Um, but I was going to say maybe st- I would just start Googling like best books of the year lists from, mm-hmm. you know, five, 2003. Seven. Yes. Yeah, right. yeah. From a while back. Also, my dad during this um, is in, you know, deep withdrawal from his public library and he just um, purchased his first e-reader and he let me know that there are a ton of Amazon editions of classics that are free yeah. on Kindle. Um, so you don't have to wait for them, but you also don't have to buy them. Um, for personal picks, this one's just a couple of years old but it never got the attention that i wished that it would have gotten so i'm just hoping that it won't have a long list a long wait list for you um it's the woman next door oh and now i am forgetting the author's name 
uh, the woman next door by Yawande Amatoso. It's set in South Africa in a like she-she neighborhood um, about two older women. One is black, one is white. It's, you know, post-apartheid. And they have been like sworn enemies in the way of she-she suburban people um, for as long as they can remember. But then something happens that forces them together. And as occurs in stories like these, they find out maybe they actually do have some things in common and they form a friendship that was just a delight to read about. It's um, it, The book is lovely and substantial um, and wrestles with the real issues of these women's lives. And I think at the time it came out and I was trying to recommend it to everyone I knew, I was pitching it as like the Golden Girls, but more woke. Uh, and I think that still holds. Um, it was just really fun to read. And I think that would just give you some comfort and some fun people to hang out with in your mm-hmm. brain during the stay-at-home order. And then I, I think maybe just check and see what's going on with James Salter. Um, Mm. Wonderful, full catalog of beautifully written novels. Um, A Sport and a Pastime is quite steamy. Light Years is like looking back at a marriage. Um, I can't remember the name of the... The Hunters is the very first one. Yeah, the Korean War air battle. Yeah, being a pilot. Um, Just, I mean, we love him. And... One of those sort of like un, not un, but under-celebrated, I think, masters of 20th century fiction. Um, I'd be shocked and delighted if there were big hold lists at the library for James Salter. Yeah. But if you've not read him, I would recommend trying that. You know, I think we got time for one more. Unfortunately, we have to leave some of these undone. Rebecca, is there one you wanted to make sure we got to of the rest here? What do you think? Ooh, let's see. I wanted to get to, I mean, I think we should go to outer space. I thought I thought you might say <laughs> So this is from Molly, uh, who's looking for recommendations for herself, um, says they've read The Martian and The Wanderers, great picks, looking for more stories about astronauts in space because of the tension, the sense of mission and exploration, and all the teamwork that's involved. Um, She'd like something with adventure or challenge as opposed to something that's quiet and introspective. And she says, "Um, I'm so sorry, because I know I'm basically asking for a read alike to The Martian, and I've been told that's basically impossible. (laughs) Way to know thyself, Molly. (laughs) But thanks for any ideas. Um, My first place to go is a real life story, um, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by Chris Hadfield. Uh, He is a Canadian astronaut. He worked on the International Space Station for quite a long time. And there's wonderful stuff in this book about all of those elements that you're talking about, the teamwork, the problem solving, the sense of mission and exploration and the sense of wonder. And um, Hadfield wrote it sort of from the perspective of like, here are things I learned as an astronaut that anybody can apply to any of the challenges in their life, but there is so, so Mm -hmm. much good space stuff um, in the book. And so I would recommend picking that up anyway. And then this one uh, is coming out in the future. It's not as far out as 2020, but it's coming out in July. So put it on your list. It's called Once Upon a Time I Lived on Mars by Kate Green. Um, In 2013, she lived in a Martian simulation Mm -hmm. on Mauna Loa in Hawaii. So basically like the real life version of what happens in The Wanderers. And this is her memoir about that experience. Wow. Um, I got a pitch email for it last week and was immediately like, yes, please send me that net galley. I want to read that book. Um, so I think if you liked The Wanderers, this will probably be right up your alley. I didn't have a great pick, to be honest with it's you. It's a tough one. Um, I, this, if you've never read the right stuff, 
by Tom Wolfe, like the original thing about the Mercury, uh, the Mercury and Gemini original astronauts. It's a hell of a thing to to figure to see what they were going through and what the scientists in the Jet Propulsion Labs were trying to put together. That one's really good. Um, there's also a real uh, Michael Collins biography or memoir. Um, who was the pilot of Apollo 11. So not Buzz and not Neil, uh, but the other guy um, called Carrying the Fire. I thought it was really great. Uh, and that one, I think probably on the nonfiction way is probably my best pick, but then the right stuff gives you the full, um, the full thing. You know, Alan Shepard has a good biography called Moonshot. You might look to see those original Gemini astronauts. A lot of them wrote books, and some are better than others. I think carrying the fire is the best of them. Some of which is because you know he couldn't dine out on being Buzz Aldrin or uh, or Neil Armstrong that he wrote a really good book instead. Um, there's a 50th anniversary edition um, that has a you know, preface and some everything that's come alongside that. So, so I think that's my best recommendation. Other than that, you know, there's not as many astronaut books about being astronauts as you would think. Um, and Andy Weir even tried to write a follow-up to the Martian yeah. Artemis that just didn't do the thing. Uh, apparently, I've heard whispers that his next book is is a return to form. Mm. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to keep an eye out on that. And it's just occurring to me now, Molly, if somehow you have not read Packing for Mars. By oh, Roach, there you go. Good one. It's, you know, so the weird questions about life in space and the mm. science of it and like you know, how do you poop in space? Um, all those kinds of things. So it won't ring all the bells about tension and mission, but there's nobody like Mary Roach for no. sort of diving deep into a thing and like poking around at the nooks and crannies of it. Thank you all so much for writing in. Uh, sorry to the few of you that we, we didn't get to. Um, we got excited. What can, you can't blame us. Well, you can, but I don't care. <laughs> um, Get your own podcast. Yeah, get your own podcast. Uh, maybe I'll try to write the few things we had back to you. Um, we're recording our next one is going to be the non-book things that are helping us through whatever this thing is. I'm just flailing at my world right now um, <laughs> that haven't been related to books. Expect, you know, 25 minutes on The Last Dance. I think that's coming for you guys. Yep. Um, but some other things, get you know, that are that are culture, art. I've got a couple of questions for you about things getting mm. you through. Um, so we'll talk to you next time. Uh, podcast at bookwrite.com. If you've got follow-up recommendations or emendations or, you know, commentary that you think is important for us to hear. Uh, Rebecca, well done as always. These are always a good yep. time. Yeah, this is always a blast. Eat.